One of the secrets to endurance athletes, one of the rules that they must follow is to go as hard and as long as they can without getting into oxygen debt. Oxygen debt is more than just simply breathing hard. Once you start exercising, you'll start breathing hard. But what happens in oxygen debt is you don't get enough oxygen for a long enough period of time that your breathing becomes uncontrollable. And if you keep going like that, you'll eventually just fall over. Oxygen debt is the enemy of endurance athletes. So when running or cycling, for example, I have found that if I push myself hard enough that my breathing is hard, but still controllable, then I can go faster and longer and have a great workout and enjoy my crash at the end of the workout. Garfield the cat says that people like me are strange and have a thing for pain. I may be guilty of that. Christianity is also a long-distance endurance run. Christianity is also a race with a lot of obstacles, oxygen debt, and lots of pain that never seems to stop. Fortunately, For us, we have something far better than a runner's high. We have God the Spirit working in us and through us for His glory, for our joy in the midst of the endurance, and for the growth of His kingdom. And Romans 6 is all about both of these aspects of Christian life. It's about our effort. It's about going long and hard so that we can bring glory to God. And it is about God working in us and through us so that we can stay in the race. Now last time we were here, we spent a good deal of effort to explain what it means to be in Christ. Because we are in Christ and He is in us, we know that we are not alone in our battle against sin. Praise Jesus! This is good news, folks. This is really good news because it is God who enables us to be victorious. But this time, we're going to look at the same chapter, Romans chapter 6, and we're going to see specific strategies, specific ways of thinking, believing, and then doing so that we can walk in the newness of life that Paul talks about in Christ. Now in one sentence, Romans 6 teaches us that in Christ, believers are free from the slavery to sin, and we are free to walk in the newness of life of His grace. Therefore, walk in the newness of life. Now let's see how Paul makes his point. Remember, we're not going verse by verse this time because our object, again, is is not to talk about union of Christ. We're going to kind of skip through that, but we will emphasize Paul's strategies. So let's look together at Romans 6, starting in verse 1 through 4. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that 
Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now there is one truth that every Christian knows if you have been walking with Christ for any amount of time. We still struggle with sin. We still have that flavor of sin that we love to nibble on every once in a while. Are you with me? Anybody? Now, at this point then, we need to ask the question that this passage is going to answer. If it's true that I still struggle with delighting in my own flavor of sin, how, Paul, how do I walk in the newness of life? Now this eternal, new, spirit-filled life is ours. How do I live it? That's what Romans 6 answers. Given our relationship to God as one who is in the Beloved, as we emphasized last time, does Scripture give me hope as I fight my flesh in this continuous, lifelong battle with sin? And the answer is, of course He does. Of course He does. So, as we approach this, we need to remind ourselves of an important distinction that we must keep in mind so that the truth can migrate from our minds, through our hearts, and into our hands and feet. And that truth will make us free indeed. If you are going to trust the promises of God for you in Christ, if you are going to have a working, you will need to have a working understanding of the fact that biblical faith is a combination of three elements. You need to know the promises of God in Christ. You need to have content. You need to know that you are in Christ and therefore you have available to, me, to you all the benefits of salvation. And we talked a lot about this last time. There are no restrictions. There are no reservations. There are no second class Christians. If you are in Christ, you have all of these spiritual blessings available to you right now. But then you need to believe. Because you know all the blessings of salvation, they believe that you believe that they are yours. Believe that these spiritual blessings are available to you. Which begs the question, do you know them? If you don't, they're right here. If you don't, they're right here. And talk to people who have walked in the faith with you, and we will help you help each other know these promises. But then you need the third step. You need to, to trust. Biblical faith, the understanding of what it means to actually have faith, as the Bible teaches, is you need to have content. You need to have belief. You need to appropriate it for yourself. And then you need to have trust. Take God at His word. And take great risks for the great God who loves you and will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, in this particular case, in this particular passage, the risk that we are being called to take is the one that we say, no, 
to whatever lying temptation it is that's standing right in front of us. Whatever it is that's trying to allure us with that taste that we've nibbled on and we've consumed for so many years. The risk, if you can call it that, is to say your promises temptation are a lie and I am going to trust the promises of God for me in Christ. Now, this kind of knowledge in action is how we go about loving God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. And it happens one temptation at a time. You don't have to have all power to defeat all sins because they're always attacking you. All you need is that ability right now to say no to whatever temptation is attacking you and trust the promises of God for you in Christ. So, as I said, everyone struggles with their own flavor of sin. This is true for every man, woman, and child. But I have a question. Why? I mean, I've been a Christian for more than 20 years. Some of you have been double that. Well, why do we still struggle with this? Come on, God. I mean, what, what's going on here? Why do we seem so powerless against the reality of our sin that we hate so much? Anybody with me on that? There is not one Christian that wants to continue sinning. There is no disciple of Jesus that would not give a great deal to be forever rid of some temptation, some sin that they are, are ashamed of. There is not one believer in this room who would not be gladly forever rid of some secret sin. If that's true. Why do we keep falling to the same sin? I submit this for an answer. If sanctification is all about sinning less and less, then we would have to conclude that the Holy Spirit is not doing His job very well. Perhaps our greatest problem is not the reality of our sin, but our unbiblical expectation of what Christian growth should look like. What if? What if growing in grace is more about humility, dependence, and exalting Christ than it is about defeating sin? It is a radical and almost frightening thought to see that God is actually as much at work in our worst moments of sin and defeat as He is in our best moments of shining obedience. The answer to this problem of why do I keep falling to this sin the answer may be that God wants you and me to struggle like the marathon runner who's clearing obstacles cleanly or not, and then to keep running with bloodied knees and bloodied elbows and bloodied pride. Trusting in Him more than our strength not to be bloodied. And then, and then, and then to get back up, 
to look to Christ and to continue running the race, trusting that God knows what He is doing so I can therefore keep moving forward for His glory and the growth of His kingdom even when I'm not enjoying myself. And that is why if you boil Christianity down into one sentence, that sentence would be trust the promises of God for you and Jesus. Even when your elbows and your pride is bloodied by your failure. Trust the promises of God for you in Christ. Now I'm going to skip the verses in this next paragraph that we worked through last time. And I'm going to concentrate on the ones I told you we would cover closely tonight. So here we go. Verses 5 and 6 and then 10 and 11. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self, our self in Adam, was crucified in Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all, but the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. Now remember, last time we emphasized it a couple of different times in the sermon that whenever the Bible talks about death as such, it's talking about judgment against sin. Yes, I know there are passages where people die and that's all he's talking about. He's just talking about so-and-so died. But when it talks about death as such, it's emphasizing not the fact that there's going to be a corpse laying on the, on the floor. It's emphasizing that this death is a judgment against sin. So, Jesus, according to Paul, suffered death as judgment against sin. Obviously not his sin, but the sin of every man, woman, and child who would ever trust Him. We then, because we are in Christ, suffered this same death and are therefore also no longer subject to judgment. It's already been done. It's done. It's gone. We're done. We, we no longer are subject to the judgment against the sin and its guilt that we carry. And death, judgment for sin, could not hold Jesus because He is life Himself. So when Jesus rose from the grave, those of us who are in Christ did as well. We are dead to our guilt that sin gives us, but the truth that is emphasized here is that we are also dead to sin's authority over us. You, Christian, are no longer subject to the demands of sin. You, Christian, can choose to reject sin. Which is why Paul goes on and he says, you, yourself, you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, by the way, not sin in its individual occurrences. Any wretch can say no to a bottle of whiskey once. And every Christian wretch 
can from and will from time to time fall to whatever it is that relentlessly tries to trip you up. But for those of us who are in Christ, those of us who are in the Beloved, we can reject the authority of sin over us. You know, in my own struggle against sin, one of the most common assurances I go back to again and again and again, sometimes a lot more than once in one day, is I go back to remember that when I sin, I also hate my sin. That sin that deceived me with its lying promises again. You're never going to be loved. You're never going to be strong. You're never going to have victory. Lies, lies, lies. Don't you believe them. You, Christian, you who belong to Christ and He belongs to you can say, I am dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Say that with me. I am dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Amen. You can say that because it is true of you. Are you going to stumble? Yep. You're still running that race. You're still going to get tired. You're still going to fall. But you can get up because you are dead to sin and you are alive to God in Christ Jesus. First, you must know, you must remind yourself that you have been baptized into Christ. You have been made one with the Beloved and therefore you are eternally secure. Then, you must consider yourself. You must believe the truth of this glorious promise. You must remember that this promise is yours. Then you can take the radical steps of trust in the great God who will never leave you nor forsake you. And it is at this point, it is at this understanding that you are in Christ and you can appropriate those promises of God for you in Christ. And then you can take those steps of faith, rejecting the individual sins as it comes to you, that Paul gives us very clear advice. Verses 12 to 14. He says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. So we come here to Paul's advice. Here are the steps you and I need to take as you engage in mortal combat against Satan, the world, and your sinful flesh. Your own tendency to return to the vomit of your sin like a dog. What are they? Number one, know God's promises for you because you are in Christ. This general promise, this blanket promise that you are in the Beloved. 
And then trust the many promises that are found throughout Scripture that God will be with you as you are tempted so that you can be victorious over them. And then number two, know God's promise for you because you are in Christ. And then believe God's promises for you because you are in Christ. Consider, Paul says in verse 11, consider these promises to be true for and of you. And reject the lie that these promises are, are just some pious platitudes. Oh yeah, they're good for that, that uber saint over there, but they're really not true for me. That's a lie. That's a lie. Reject it. These promises are for you. And then number three, know God's promises for you because you're in Christ. Believe God's promises for you because you're in Christ. And then trust God's promises for you because you are in Christ. Go to God's Word. Learn these promises there and believe them. Speak them back to God. Do you struggle with praying? Seriously, for a moment. Do you struggle praying? Here's a simple way to do it. Find some promises of God for you in Christ, and then just talk them back to God. Talk them back to God for your neighbor. Talk them back to God for your parents or your kids. Talk them back to God. And that is prayer. God, come through on this. Learn the promises there and believe them. Then live like they are true for you. Now, I'm going to take a time out for a second. I put three books up here. Uh, these are all books uh, that have been very helpful for me. Uh, in fact, I just finished rereading The Discipline of Grace uh, by Jerry Bridges with my sons. It is a fabulous book. Uh, of those, I would say the hardest to, to absorb is Extravagant Grace. Uh, it's not an easy read, but if you're up for it, I would definitely read it. These, this is a way, this is one way you can start putting these thoughts in your mind and start getting them into your heart. But I want to look at verses 12 and 13 in specific, and I want to see three strategies of how to fight sin. The first strategy is to choose to reject the demands of sin on you when they arise. Verse 12. Sin is going to say something like this. Hey, you need me to be happy. You deserve to have me now because no one really appreciates you. You can't resist me. You've never been able to resist me. You might as well give in now. These are lies, my friend. They are lies. Go to the truth. And when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Strategy number two. Don't do those things that you know put you in a position to sin. This is the first part of verse 13. I want to give you a hint to help you identify temptation and to arm yourself before it attacks. And this is a saying, I didn't come up with it, but when you are hungry, angry, lonely, and tired, you are more subject to temptation. What does this look like? When you're hungry, 
<laughs> just a simple one. When you go to the supermarket, make sure you don't go to the supermarket until after you've just had, had something to eat, right? Why? Because you'll have 30 more dollars of groceries in your basket if you do. This is easy. You all know that. What about angry? Now, anger in itself is not a sin, right? I mean, we, we know that that's true. But let me tell you, anger will justify a lot of sin, will it not? Don't just count to ten. Ask Jesus to give you wisdom to answer the situation with truth in love. How about lonely? Lonely is a tough one, isn't it? You're so lonely. You're so desperate for attention. It's been so long since you've had healthy attention that you lash out at people hoping against hope that they will receive you. But that's no good. Because attention won in this way will not get you the relief you need. What you will get will never be enough and you will justify your anger because people just don't understand you. People just don't know how to love like Christians. Reject these lies. They are from the pit of hell. Instead, remember and believe and trust the truth. You are in Christ. Christ is in you. You are safe. And you are loved. Now, having said that, you also then need to take the next step and go find human companionship. You need we are community beings. We are made for community. We need to find those we can be with so that we can have this emotional need met. That is another sermon. Lastly, tired. Now, when I start feeling depressed, I always know one of two things is going on. When I'm starting to feel depressed, the most common reason is because I'm tired. And what I have found over the last 30 plus years is that if I go have a burrito and a Coke and then lay down and take a nap, I feel so much better. <laughs> it's true. I'm surprised Donna doesn't get the receipts at the end of the month and say, oh, Greg was depressed on the 6th. Oh, he was depressed on the 10th. Oh, Maybe she does, I just, she just doesn't say it. Get some sleep. Do, do something that you know that you need. It's amazing how differently the world looks when you give yourself some true rest. And by the way, true rest does not mean that you're doing this. That's not rest. Then, where are we at? Then what we need is to do those things that bring you lasting happiness and help you to know God better and therefore love Him and trust Him more. That's the, the second half of verse 13. 
This might be the Bible study and prayer that you know that you need, but you've run out of time in your day for the last week and you just haven't been able to get it done. John Piper says, no Bible? You don't have time for Bible this morning? Don't eat breakfast. That'll get you up earlier the next day. <laughs> get me up earlier the next day. It might be that what you need is just simply get up, get dressed, and start getting done some things that you need. That's the second thing that will make me depressed. If I start finding myself behind on things that I know I should be doing, then I will get depressed. And I need to do them. And I won't until I go and get those projects done or go talk to that person that I don't want to talk to. But sometimes just getting dressed and going to meet someone to encourage them is what you need. I've done many of my hospital visits not with the agenda of blessing the person, but think, man, I'm depressed. i got to go meet with somebody who's more depressed than I am. If that applies to you, don't believe that. I bet and visited you because I love you. Which is also true. Which is also true. But then, then I have another why question. I mean, I'm, I'm a kind of a practical guy. I, I've got to have the why. Why? Why, God? Why, Paul? Why should we fight that sin that has been clinging to us for so closely for so long? I mean, I'm saved anyways, right? I'm saved anyways, so, so, so just, why don't I just throw up my hands and not worry about it? Well, Paul answered that in verse 1. He's going to answer it again right now. But allow me to read to you verse 14. Sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. Wait a minute. That was not the answer I was expecting. What? I'm not under law. I'm under grace. That's why I should fight this battle? Yes. Yes. Why? Because the battle is already, the war is already won. Now, we are still engaging the enemy in the skirmishes, and these skirmishes cause real pain. They cause real injury. But these skirmishes will finally be won by those who are willing to be violent against our flesh, violent against the system of the world that is around us, violent against Satan, so that we can be loving to those who are near us. so that we can be loving to God. Allow me to give you a specific illustration. When I was running in Camps Crusade for Christ Circles, one of the things that was constantly pounded on us, one of the things that we, we constantly heard all the time was this concept of spiritual breathing. And spiritual breathing starts with exhaling. Spiritual breathing starts with repenting of your sins. God, I did it again. Notice, I did it. I'm not making excuses. I'm not saying he made me do it. I'm not saying, well, I'm jealous of her. I'm not saying anything else. I sinned, Lord. I repent. And then inhale. Receive forgiveness. My friends, you are forgiven if you are in Christ. The only thing that would separate you from Him is that you're facing the wrong direction. So turn to Him. He loves you. He is willing to receive you. Run to Him. Throw yourself in. God, I 
did it again just now. Don't wait 20 minutes or however long you think it takes for God to receive you. He's, receiving, he's willing to receive you right now. I just told a lie. I just lusted after someone or something. I just did this. God, forgive me. I did it again. And then as you know, you need to continue breathing. Rehearse the promises. If you're struggling with the sin and you know that the sin is one that you struggle with, go find a promise in Scripture that speaks to that sin and remind yourself of it. This is where Scripture memory is so helpful. That is how you will go about trusting those promises for you in Christ. Now, the second half of this chapter begins the same way as the first. And it answers that same question. Man, why God? If, if, if you have already forgiven me, I, I'm just going to give up. I'm just going to fall into this temptation, whatever it is. What then? Verse 15. Are we to continue in sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Same question as verse 1. Same answer. God forbid. No way. Forget about it. Okay, I got one chuckle. Thank you. I needed the chuckle. Do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one to whom you obey, either to sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? Why on earth would you go back to that slavery? Why on earth would you go back eating that vomit? Bathing in that bile? Now, Paul describes sin as a slave owner here. But the one in whom we live is greater than anybody. Jesus is greater than everybody. And living in His newness of life trumps death in all of these sins. In all of these masters. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. <laughs> I want you to notice something here. Oh my goodness. Paul is a lot more positive about me than I am about me. Right? I mean, obedient from the heart? Wow, that's a pretty good image. But as a friend of mine likes to remind me, the New Testament emphasizes we are saints. We remain sinners for as long as we are in this flesh, but the New Testament emphasizes we are saints. Paul says, I am speaking here in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. We must fight the slavery to our sin for as long as we are in this flesh. You are not a slave no matter what your deceitful heart tells you. You do not have to obey sin. Fight sin at every temptation. Why? Because you don't have to fight every sin at the same time. You just need to fight the temptation that is facing you now. Have faith for the day, not for tomorrow, because you haven't got tomorrow's faith yet. 
You, can, you don't have to obey sin. You can obey the beloved. You can obey life. You can obey growing in Jesus. And you can trust the promises of God for you in Christ. Now let's read how Paul closes his dissertation on fighting sin. It says in verse 20, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which now you are ashamed? For the end of those things is death, judgment. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do people mock your biblical values? You won't watch that TV program? What's wrong with you? You won't go into debt for non-essentials? Man, come into the 21st century. You won't engage in this immorality? Man, what are you, some prude? Yes, the world will mock you. The world will try to shame you. And from their perspective, I guess, in a sense, that is shame. But not from God's. And now that you are in Christ, you look back and you are ashamed that you reveled in that so much. That that was, that was such a big part of you. And it led to death. It led to judgment. It led to non-life. Will you sometimes be ashamed when the world does this to you? Yeah, you will. You will stumble. You're not glorified yet. Put that to death too. And when you don't, because you won't always, God, I did it again. Lord, I repent. Forgive me for, for this sin. And thank you. You have forgiven me. Put in my heart, put in my mind the promises that you have for me for this particular sin so that I can join with you in life. Should we be ashamed? No. Why? Because those things bring death. And you have life open to you. Spiritual life, newness of life, eternal life. That's why Paul says in verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The emphasis is not on the wages of sin. The emphasis for those who are in Christ is the eternal life that is ours because we are in Christ. And we know that it is not the death, the judgment our sin deserves, but is now in the past. Paul's emphasis now is on the life that Christ has for us and therefore is in us. A life that not only frees us from the guilt of our sin, but also frees us from the authority of sin in our lives. You don't have to obey sin. Celebrate your freedom by living in the newness of life that is available to you. Trust in the promises of God for you in Christ. Now, for the endurance athlete, oxygen debt is a real problem. But as a Christian, spiritual breathing is what you need so you don't go into that debt of guilt 
and falling under the authority of sin anymore. Trust the promises of God for you in Christ. Lord, turn our hearts to you and give us great grace. Help us to glorify you in all of our attitudes and actions and help us, Lord, to breathe the great grace that you have given us. In Jesus' name, amen.